Our scripture this morning comes out of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. And, and I, would, I would just, let me just take a moment here to, uh, I, just to invite you to continue uh, to be engaged with us as we have been uh, looking at the numbers on our live stream. We, we recognize that there are some folks, are, the worship is over, and so they'll hop off for a little bit and then come back on, um, kind of like... Uh, you know, there have been folks, I'm, I'm not going to name, name names, Craig, or anything, but uh, those that may have fallen asleep uh, in previous churches uh, that, uh, during my sermons, I, I recognize, certainly, I certainly recognize that, uh, but also recognize as well uh, that, the, that, the, that the message and, and the sermon is not, indeed, not about, not about the preacher at all. It's not about what the preacher says. It's about the very Word of God, the very Word of God. And so we would, we would invite you to continue uh, to engage with us and continue to, um, continue to um, uh, tune in. And, and I also would say, even if you go to sleep, I'm not going to notice you in this uh, distance this way. And so, uh, Craig, go ahead and, and do whatever, Craig, go ahead and do whatever you need to do there. Uh, and so, our scripture this morning comes out of uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. If you would like to follow along, we would indeed invite you, invite you to do so. Jim is uh, reading our scripture for us this morning. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. And now, God, hide me behind your cross that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, but we live in, a, in an age of outrage. In this postmodern world, it seems as though there are 
arguments and rage and cynicism and distrust and civil unrest all around us. We are living in an age of outrage. It was only a few years ago that forgiveness was seen as a virtue. I I can remember forgiveness, the stories of of, of great stories of forgiveness were, were, were seen on the covers of of magazines all across the nation time after time it seemed like every other year or so there was a there was a large story that was that was circulated about someone a great someone that was forgiving someone else or a great story of of forgiveness but but not not any not any longer it's not seen as a as a virtue forgiveness is not necessarily seen as a virtue in our postmodern culture. Now it is seen either as a, as a weakness or even as evil itself. There are some things, our culture says, that are so evil that they should not be forgiven. If someone believes differently, differently than you believe on the definition of marriage, then you mustn't forgive them if someone has a different stance on abortion, they, they are the enemy. They are not to be forgiven. If someone has different convictions on how to handle violence or school shootings or government corruptions or even who to vote for, or, or maybe even, maybe even someone who has a different favorite sports team, they, they are the enemy. They are not to be forgiven. They are to be burned down on Twitter. They are to be publicly embarrassed until, until they come around uh, to your way of thinking and believing, or they are to be simply written off as a tool of the evil one. That is the day and the age of outrage in which we live in. Now, many of us at First Church and as Christians living today, many of us have been We've been insulated from the, from the age of outrage. You don't have burner Twitter accounts. You don't engage in shouting matches on the street. You don't publicly ridicule those with whom you disagree. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've been completely insulated. You've watched the news shows, or, or maybe I should refer to them as more as political opinion shows, but those news programs in, uh, in which opponents are put in a split screen and the host steers it to where the guy on their side clearly defeats the guy on the opposing side. Normally there are shouts of outrage and unbelief that someone could be so stupid to believe the other side. Or, or maybe the sports program, either on television or on sports talk radio in which the hosts shout over one another about who's the greatest, LeBron or Kobe or MJ, how overrated the, maybe it's how overrated the Dallas Cowboys have been for the last two decades or how, how the NCAA is ripping off student athletes by not allowing them to make millions of dollars like professional athletes and the list could go on and on and on. And if someone calls into a sports talk show and the host disagrees with them, they are, they are called pathetic losers and they are hung up on this is the day of outrage. Forgiveness is not seen as a 
virtue at all, forgiveness is seen as a weakness. In our day of, in our age of outrage, our age of outrage values rudeness and obscenity and name-calling and most damning, it values unforgiveness. Today we are continuing our sermon series dealing with the greatest sermon ever preached. And now don't be confused by, by any means. The greatest sermon that was ever preached is not re- in reference to the sermons that I'm preaching, but instead these are, uh, this title is referencing the, the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached, the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. The, the Sermon on the Mount is, is as it's referred to in Matthew's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, it is referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, but in Matthew's Gospel, we find that Jesus goes, upon a, goes up onto a mountainside, and he, get, disciples are gathered there, and, and then a number of, well, there's a large crowd that begins to gather around him. There's a lot of debate on whether uh, all of this was taught in one setting, or whether this uh, Matthew and the, and the other gospel writers kind of compiled a bunch of sermons and a bunch of teachings of Jesus and put them in in one setting. There's there's significant debate debate about exactly how all of this all of this took place. But one of the things that is that is not debated is that the things that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount were life changing. They were earth shattering. They turned everything upside down. Last week we, we looked at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes that, uh, that oh, oh, the blessedness of being in mourning. Oh, the, the blessedness of, of thirsting and hungering for righteousness. Oh, oh, the, the, the blessedness, the blessedness of, of being persecuted. We saw how it doesn't make sense at all, but when, but when God is present, this is, how things, this is how things occur. This is how things occur. And so as we continue through this series, or through this Sermon on the Mount, we run across, we run across these, these sayings on, on forgiveness, Jesus' teachings on forgiveness. Jesus' culture... Jesus' culture was, was not much different than, than our culture in many respects. Pagans of Jesus' time did not agree with uh, and, and attacked and mocked Christians as they taught the gospel of grace throughout the Roman world, and especially, especially the gospel of forgiveness. Pagans disagreed with that gospel of forgiveness. They, they mocked the Christian teaching that sins could be forgiven by another, even by God. As far as the pagan was concerned, you either make up for your misdeed for yourself. In other words, you self-atone or you atone for yourself or you are forever guilty. And so if someone does something wrong... Uh, the pagan believed that there were only two options. One, you, you, you made up for it, or again, you atoned for that sin yourself, or you were forever guilt, guilty. There was no such thing as, as forgiveness. There was no such thing as someone saying, I give up the right to get even. 
Because there was no such thing as giving up the right to get even. There was no such thing, uh, in the pagan mind at least, as forgiveness. The pagans in Jesus' day did not consider forgiveness a virtue. The Lord sold man in the pagan world in which the gospel was, was first proclaimed and preached might disregard offenses in cases of which he considered beneath his notice. And so if there were offenses that were small, it was, it was beneath them to even notice those kinds of things. Those things didn't even matter in the grand scheme of things. If you were, a, if you were a, a, someone of high esteem, there wasn't anything that you needed to forgive because, oh, you were above it to such a degree. But to forgive, but to forgive was considered weak-spirited. Only the weak-spirited, the weak-willed, the truly weak would forgive in the pagan world of Jesus' day. It's interesting. It's interesting that Rufinus' commentary on the Apostles' Creed written in the 5th century, pagans were still attacking Christians on this very reason. When Christians spoke about the forgiveness of sins, the pagans said, how can you talk about a murderer becoming not a murderer through the forgiveness of God? How can, you talk, how can you talk about an adulterer being forgiven of adultery through the forgiveness of God? You cannot do this, the pagans said, even in the, even in the, first, even in the fifth century. How can one person forgive another person of something that person has done without that person's making up for it. So if there is not some sort of making up for it, if there was not some sort of self-atoning, there was no such thing as forgiveness in Jesus' day. As Christians, as Christians, we know, we know about forgiveness. It's the key tenet of our faith. God forgives us of our sins. It's the key tenet of our faith. At the very core of our faith is this understanding, at the very least, of God's forgiveness. We know and we understand forgiveness. But many of us think, many of us think that it would be far easier for us if we could let God do all the forgiving while we just enjoy the benefits of that forgiveness. God will just do all the, all the forgiving, and, and we'll, do, we'll do all the receiving of that forgiveness. We'll, do, we'll, we'll enjoy all of the benefits of that. As I've, as I've said before, however, many of us want, God, want Jesus to be our Savior, but not be our Lord. Many of us want the, the benefits of, of, of Jesus Christ pronouncing forgiveness upon us, but we don't. We, we, we don't want to accept the responsibility and the duty of making Jesus Lord of our lives. But my friends, this is not Christianity. It is not Christianity that we simply want God to do something for us, but not require anything from us. Indeed, Indeed, Jesus taught, Jesus taught that, that God's love is unconditional 
but God's forgiveness is conditional. Did you get that? Jesus taught that God's love is unconditional, but God's forgiveness is conditional. He taught it in the Lord's Prayer. He taught it in, 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 in that prayer that he, that he raised up here, even in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, is where that Lord's Prayer comes from. In that, in that, in that prayer, he teaches God forgive us just as we forgive others. Jesus teaches us that God's forgiveness is conditional. Now, now, now hear me now. Hear me now. God's love is unconditional. There is not a thing we can do about God's love for us. God's going to love you no matter what, and there's not a thing that you can do about it. But Jesus teaches us that we will be forgiven just as we extend forgiveness to others. What I have found in the teachings of Jesus is that forgiveness is not optional for the Christian. Forgiveness is not an option for Christians, for followers of Christ. You must extend forgiveness. If you are going to receive forgiveness from God, if you're going to receive forgiveness for your sins, you must extend forgiveness to others. He says it, he says it very, very clearly in our passage today. You have heard it was said, and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, many, many of you have heard me say before, there's an old rabbi saying that says, uh, that says uh, if everyone abided by an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we'd have a whole bunch of one-eyed, toothless people walking around. But Jesus said, but I say, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. And if anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not, re- do not refuse to the one who would borrow from you. Many, many of you Many of you know all of the details of this. You know the difference between being slugged, as Jesus said, being slugged uh, across, across the cheek and, and being slapped. You, you've looked at the details of to be slapped on the right side. You would, you'd have to be slapped by the, by the left hand of the person, meaning it's the, uh, the minor of the hand. And so, or, or, more than likely, it would be more of a, of a backhand kind of slap. It's not a punch at all. You know those details. You know the details of, of what it meant for a, a Roman soldier to come along and require, and require that a citizen carry their bags for one mile. And Jesus here is saying, not just one mile. Take them two. Take, take them two. You've, you, you, you've, you've, studied all, you've studied all of those, all of those details. And you've studied the details of 
uh, of this saying, you have you shall love your. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've recognized that that's not a, a, a quote of scripture, but instead you uh, you know that it's just simply a, a saying that was common of of that day. But I say to you, Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love just those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do that? Don't even the, don't even the pagans do things like that? And then he says this. I don't know that I'd ever notice this. Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus connects this understanding of perfection. This understanding of being holy, just as your Father in heaven is holy and perfect, Jesus connects that perfection with forgiveness. Perfection, Christian perfection comes, comes not in the amount of Scripture reading we do every day. Christian perfection comes not in the amount of praying that we do every day. Christian perfection comes not in the amount of fasting we do every week. Christian perfection comes not in the number of times we come to worship or the number of sermons that we hear, but instead Christian perfection comes in the kind of forgiveness that we offer. When we experience forgiveness, when we experience forgiveness, when we extend forgiveness, we are experiencing perfection. We're experiencing perfection. But many of us struggle with it. We, we really, really, really struggle with it, don't we? I mean, for unforgiveness seems, I mean, it comes as natural to us as, as breathing. When someone does us wrong, it comes as natural to us to not forgive them as it does to take our very next breath. But unforgiveness is a cancer to the soul. It's been, it's been described this way. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and, and, and expecting the other person to die. It's a cancer to our souls. What we find is that, is that the person that we, are, that, that we are not extending forgiveness to, they don't recognize it. They don't know that we haven't yet forgiven them. Instead, it is a, it's a cancer on our own on our own souls. However, however, when, when we do extend forgiveness, when we do extend forgiveness to those who have wronged us, oh, oh, it will change their life. It will change their life. You may remember, some of you may remember back in October of 2006 in the deep in the heart of Pennsylvania Amish country when a when a local man burst into to to one of to a one room country schoolhouse and 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 uh, as as he as he arrived that the children knew who he was 
He was, a, he was a local man. He was not Amish himself, but he was a local man that delivered milk to the, to the area farmers. And as he was there, he, he ordered all of the boys and all of the teachers to leave that one-room schoolhouse, leaving, leaving, ten, little, leaving ten little girls, preteen girls. They weren't exactly sure what in the world he, he was going to do, but he was armed, heavily armed. And so he... Uh, he, he required that all of the little girls uh, laid face down on the floor, and, and he, he, he bound them by their hands and by their feet. And, and the teachers that had left just a few moments earlier at, were able to find a telephone in a neighbor's house, and they were able to call 911. And as the police arrived with, with, with sirens and, and loudspeakers, uh, the man inside threatened that he, if, that if they continued if they continued to come closer that he was going to start executing these young girls one by one and the police began to back off but as they began to back off he began to shoot those little girls one by one by one shooting all 10 of them and then turning the gun on himself He killed five of those little girls. Again, those in the Amish community, they knew this young man. He had been born and raised in that community. He was not Amish. He was, he was however, he was raised by a faithful Christian family, in a, in a faithful Christian family. It was just hours after that incident that the mother of the perpetrator, the mother of the shooter, she found out what had happened that day. She showed up at the school absolutely distraught. Her husband was more than distraught. Her husband said to her, we will never, ever be able to face our Amish neighbors again. And so they went home after they realized what had occurred and they huddled together wondering what their future was. And when all of a sudden there was a knock at the door, it was an Amish neighbor who had come to surround them with grace and love and, yes, forgiveness. The parents of the shooter were invited to come to some of the funerals of these young girls. These Amish families wanted these parents of the shooter to come to those funerals so that they as a community could extend forgiveness to them. And then the day arrived when the, when the shooter was being laid to rest. The parents were beside themselves. They had no idea how anyone would respond. And, and if you remember, you, if you remember the incident, you remember that the, that the media coverage was absolutely crazy. There were media from, from all over the world. School shootings were, were a, a rare thing at that time, but especially, but especially in a small country Amish village. family was shocked, to say the least. 
and they showed up to the funeral, and there were more Amish families at their son's funeral than non-Amish families at their funeral. The mother gave an interview, and she said, it changed their life when they showed up at their son's funeral to be surrounded by their Amish relatives, or excuse me, their Amish neighbors and friends. And those Amish neighbors and friends surrounded them and protected them from the world. That's what happens when we extend forgiveness to others. When we extend the kind of forgiveness that we have received from God, when we extend that to others, we are protecting others from the world. We are protecting them from the snares of the evil one. We are bringing heaven down into their lives. I wonder what it might be like. I wonder what it might be like for First United Methodist Church of Oklahoma City to, to be a place where, it, where forgiveness is extended time and time and time again. This is a world, this is an age of, an age of, of outrage, an age of rudeness, a, 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 an age of unforgiveness. I think the world is truly looking for a place. The world is truly looking for a community that they can be a part of in which forgiveness is extended time and time and time again. It is life-changing when we can extend forgiveness to others. It is perfection. Would you bow with me? God, we know what it is to have forgiveness extended to us. For you extend that kind of forgiveness each and every day. And for your forgiveness, O oh Lord, we give you thanks. And in fact, in fact, we, we base all of our lives on your forgiveness for us. Yet now, O oh Lord, we take a stand we take a stand and say, not only are we to receive forgiveness, now, today, we are offering and extending forgiveness to others. Maybe it's that in-law. Maybe it's that ex-spouse. Maybe it's that co-worker. Maybe it's that parent or grandparent. Oh God, today you're calling us to extend forgiveness. You're calling us to, to give up that right to get even. Indeed, we have the right, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. God, when we don't forgive, we're poisoning ourselves. We're poisoning our relationship with you. 
God, on this day, empower us. Empower us by the will of the Holy Spirit to forgive as we have been forgiven. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.